And when you come to the end of anything, it's a good time to consider what that thing was all about. And so we'll do quite a bit of that in our sermon time this morning, considering what this whole book has been about. The closing section here affords us that opportunity. If you've not been with us or or don't quite know what Acts is about, it was written by a man named Luke, uh, giving a history to a person he knew named Theophilus. And he wrote this letter, as he did his Gospel of Luke, to tell Theophilus all that Jesus had done. So on his earthly ministry, that's what the Gospel of Luke is about. And now this book is what Jesus continued to do, not through himself on earth because he had ascended, but through his messengers that he had sent and left, his apostles, after Jesus had ascended to heaven. Through his messengers who go from Jerusalem at the beginning of Acts to Rome by the end of Acts, Jesus offers a place in his kingdom to all people. That is one of the primary messages and themes that we've seen in this book. In the first half of Acts, we saw mainly the apostle Peter ministering largely to Jews in Jerusalem and in the nearby area. But in the second half of Acts, after Jesus gives Peter a vision that salvation will be for all people beyond Jews, including Gentiles, we see Paul going to Gentiles. His whole ministry, Jesus' ministry that is, has gone from local to global. Just as Jesus said it would do in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And by the end of Paul's ministry, somewhere around AD 60s, Christianity will have traveled from a small town, Jerusalem, to Rome, the center of the empire of its day. As we see the gospel proclaimed in Rome in our passage this morning, we witness the triumph of Jesus' kingdom. Triumph is here, but also tragedy. For though the Gentiles welcome the message of the king, many Jews here do not. And so we finish our study through Acts this morning considering these two endings to the book. Tragedy, that's the first point, and triumph, it's the second. We begin seeing tragedy. At the end of Acts. Look at Acts chapter 28 verse 17. And I'll read there. After three days Paul called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered he said to them. Brothers though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers. Yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it's because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. They said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you. None of the brothers coming here as reporters spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. 
So if you've been with us, you know Paul is in Rome now because he was wrongfully accused of being seditious and causing riots. But all throughout, we find there really is no evidence for these claims. But by the providence of God and Jesus' desire to have Paul reach Rome to testify to Christ, Paul is now in Rome. And even though along the way, Paul had been beaten, imprisoned, wrongfully accused, even though he was in Rome due to allegations by his Jewish opponents, and he had nearly lost his life more than once on the journey, still... Paul does the same thing upon arrival that he has done in every place. He makes sure the Jewish leaders hear from him about the hope of Israel. And if you read back through Acts, you'll find Paul often using this word hope to explain one thing. This hope is that Jesus, the Messiah has come, died and is now risen. The risen Lord that all should turn their lives to. This is the hope of Israel. Jesus, the resurrected Messiah. Now Paul is not sure what this group has heard about him. So he catches them up on his case in case there's any information missing. Do you remember how intense Paul's trial was in Jerusalem? Remember the shouting? The threats? The secret plots for ambush? seems like it's all now melted away. None of Paul's accusers then bother to make their case here now before Caesar. None have shown up. And according to other historical sources, after Paul's stint here for two years under imprisonment ends, he's released. His case is thrown out. Nothing to stick. This will not be the trial that ultimately leads to Paul's execution. That will be a few years later when Rome itself turns on Christianity under Nero. In fact, Paul's Jewish audience in Rome had no knowledge of his case, but they had heard about Christians. They'd heard about a movement and this raised questions and had been causing pushback all over the empire. As you see in verse 22. So it seems Paul has found an unbiased group of Jews who are genuinely curious to know what he has to say. So we hear him in verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said. But others disbelieved. Now if you aren't familiar with Judaism. Let me just give you a brief overview. And if you are Jewish and you are here this morning. I'm so glad you're here. We are glad you're here. If in any way you would disagree with how I present this. I would love to talk to you about it. I'd love to be corrected. Um, We understand that we share much in common with Jewish people given that we rely both on the Old Testament and the Revelation that is there for us. So I aim to be true and accurate with what I'm about to say. The Jewish people believe that they are the biological descendants of Abraham and as such are heirs to the promise that was made by the one true creator God, Yahweh, 
A promise made to bless their nation, Israel. The blessing involved land, people, and a future. Israel understands it became a nation originally when God delivered them from slavery to Egypt. God led them by miracles through the Red Sea into the wilderness to a mountain called Sinai, where he gave them a set of laws that would define a special covenantal relationship they would have with God. Should Israel obey, they would live in the blessings. Should they turn away and disobey, they would be cursed and cut off from their special relationship with God. The law would eventually become a problem for this nation, Israel. Because instead of moving them toward faithfulness and obedience, it would awaken the sin that was present in their hearts and ours. Israel's history after Mount Sinai becomes a roller coaster of intermittent obedience in the midst of rampant disobedience, especially as Israel seeks special relationship, not with the one true God, but with false gods through idolatry. God repeatedly sends prophets to tell them they must repent, they must turn back, or he will act in faithfulness according to his covenant commitment to curse them and cut them off. Two exiles later, 500 years before Jesus is born, God's prophetic witness goes completely silent. God stops speaking. The millions that triumphantly left Egypt so many years ago and multiplied in the wilderness and the promised land have now dwindled to a very small remnant back in Jerusalem under foreign rule. God had stopped calling Israel to walk with him. They must now live out the reality Moses warned them about. Deuteronomy 30, verse 17 through 18. If your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you will surely perish. So as Paul sits here from morning until night imprisoned, Talking to this room full of Jews, he's talking to a people under a curse. And talking to them about their hope. Not a hope because they were the nation of Israel. No, their nation's disobedience meant their, meant their special relationship with God was over. But... The prophets, like Isaiah in Isaiah 49 and 53, promised that there was going to be another Israel. A true Israel. Not a nation, but a person. A faithful servant named Israel that would be obedient. That would become a curse for us, like Galatians 3.13 we confessed earlier. Who by becoming a curse for us would lift our curse of disobedience and bring life after his death. This promised one would come through death into resurrection. He would be the resurrection hope of Israel. And the hope he brought would be for people within the nation of Israel who could see it and believe it. And for people from all other nations too. 
Isaiah 49, verse 6, you will be my servant, we're told about this new Israel. To raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of the nation of Israel, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. A new Israel, a better Israel, one to whom the nation could come and find salvation. As could all other nations. And David prophesied in Psalm 16 that there would come one who is a king. Who would come from David's line. Who would sit on this throne. And who would not die. But in resurrection would live. His soul would not see corruption. He would not go down to hell forever. Who was this servant named Israel? Who could stand blessed under the law? Not cursed because he was the obedient one. Who would find the full favor of God? Who could take the curse and lift the curse? Who would be David's son? The eternal king. Well, kids, you know who it is. We just talked about him, didn't we? The angel visiting Mary told her that this one would be the son she would bear. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb... And bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Zechariah full of God's spirit said it was this child that was awaited. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. And Simeon, when he held this new baby, Jesus exclaimed, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And then Jesus himself declares that he is the one the prophets promised. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. A friend, if you're looking for hope, look no further than Jesus. After Jesus came and lived obedient in every way to God's law. After Jesus came and suffered at the hands of men and died on the cross. In our place to bear our sins so that we might be forgiven and become the true people of God. Because of his righteousness, not our own. After all that, and he accomplished all that. On the day he resurrected, Jesus appeared to two men and walked down the road with him. I don't know if you know this story. You'll find it in Luke 24. These men, they didn't recognize him, but they walked with him for quite a way. They had a long conversation with him. Jesus comes up next to them, asks them, what are you talking about? 
And they say, we're talking about everything that's just happened in Jerusalem, meaning the crucifixion trial of Jesus. And Jesus says, tell me about that. And so they, they begin to explain. And they say, Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things? And enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures. The things concerning himself. If you've been struggling to figure out what the Bible is all about. If you've tried to read it many times. You just can't get the coherent grasp on what this story is. Maybe you think it's just a bunch of different sayings. That help guide us in our daily life. Well hear Jesus. Jesus says the point. Of God's word for us is to come to understand that He came, He died, He rose, and now there is salvation for sinners in His name. So, as Paul sits with this group, he opens up the Jewish books and shows them Jesus on every page. The whole Old Testament is a testimony. Of a new covenant that will be set up in a future day through a new and better Adam. Through the faithful Israel, Jesus. Had they had spiritual eyes to see. Like the blind man who saw Jesus even before Jesus opened his eyes. They would cry out to Jesus and say, son of David, have mercy on us. Had they had ears to hear. They would have left that room like the day the blind man What like the day the lame man met Jesus and he left him walking and leaping and praising God. And some did. Luke says some believed. But tragically others did not. Even though these Roman Jews weren't tainted by the Sanhedrin's false testimony against Paul from Jerusalem. They still wouldn't receive Paul's message. At some point, Paul realizes he's not making headway with them. Try as he might to convince them, which is his heart. So if they won't hear the prophet's witness about Jesus, then Paul would leave them. With the prophet's indictment on them for refusing to listen to the Holy Spirit. Just like their fathers had done. Look at verse 25. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. And I would heal them. 
Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Are you like me and you see areas where you continue to stumble in disobedience? Are you like me where you you continue to see the effects of your own mistakes and willing disobedience to God that hurts people in your life and you And you wonder, is this ever going to change? Are the wounds that I suffer at the hands of other people, or the wounds I inflict on other people because of my own folly and sin, can anything ever really be done about them? The things that you have suffered in your life that have laid hidden or you have repressed for years and decades because you didn't know what to do with it, can it ever be taken out? Can, it ever, can there ever be a kind of healing applied where it truly is a restored part of you and me where what was hurt and pain and brokenness can now be life and abundant joy? Is it possible? See with your eyes. Hear with your ears. Let your heart be open to understand that God is ready. He will turn to us and He will heal us. Apparently, the only thing that keeps us from finding what we know we so lack is our own unwillingness to come to the one who offers it. This is the last recorded direct address to Jews in Acts. So many appeals made and refused. And now Paul says, you cannot hear the greatest news in the world because you will not listen. The responsibility is laid on them. The problem is with their ears. They are deaf. Their eyes they've closed. Their heart is dark and dull. They are sick in every part. And they do not want to say they need a physician. And as Paul pivots to the Gentiles in verse 28. We find a shift that has been gradually occurring through Acts. Seeming to kind of come complete. Redemptive history. God's story seems to be fading and closing for a time on the nation of Israel so that it might open to the world. The invitation to come into God's kingdom, of course, will remain open and be extended to any Jewish person then and now. That is not what's closed. But from now on, Israel as a nation will take its place as one among all the nations. No longer to be understood the chosen people of God. And the call from Christ goes to them as it does to any person. Come out of the kingdom of the world. Come under the lordship of Jesus the king. Paul's words from Isaiah ring true even today. If you have Jewish friends. Or if you've you've read or listened to popular Jewish speakers on these subjects. So many Jewish people will not recognize Christ as the Messiah. Why does their tragic lostness continue? 
Paul says in Romans 8 that it is their insistence that their obedience to the law is preferable to them to believing that Jesus the Messiah is the one who came to fulfill the law for them. They rely on their own work. Romans 9 verse 30 to 33 says it this way. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. That is trusting in Christ. But as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it's written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So whether you are of Jewish descent or not, we cannot be saved through our own obedience. If we are to be righteous before God, we need Christ's righteousness given for us. If you follow the news, you've, you've understood that these things are very relevant for our culture today. Anti-Semitism is on the rise recently, but not a new issue if you study history. But that is something we should have nothing to do with as Christians. Look at Paul's heart for these people. He keeps going to them. He considers himself one among them. He gives them his whole day here. He has given them so many of his hours. Spending his time trying to convince them. In Romans 9 verse 2. This is not just rote. This is not just ritual. This is pouring out of his heart of compassion for them. He says I have great sorrow. And unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed. And cut off from Christ. For the sake of my Jewish brothers. My kinsmen according to the flesh. His heart pours out for their state. Lost and apart from God. As should ours. At the same time, we must not consider ethnic Israel as the people of God when they continue to not believe in Christ. The Jews need Christ. And apart from Christ, they are lost. Their reality should compel us, though, not to violence or hatred or distasteful generalizations or jokes, but to seek them out, befriend them. In love and compassion, talk to them. Open the scriptures which we hold together and show them as Paul did that the law and the prophets anticipated this one, this Jesus. Pray for them and plead with them to welcome the healing that has been provided for them and for all the nations. I recently got to attend the play Antigone, which is a Greek tragedy. And if you've seen many tragedies like Romeo and Juliet, you might have seen. You know they don't end well. Hence the name tragedy. Often in these tragedies the truth is out there in the open. For all the characters in the play to see and welcome. But because of stubbornness or pride or bias it all goes unheeded. Through the inevitable death and grief that comes through many of these tragedies. The audience is then encouraged to heed the pride of the characters. So that you won't end up like them. In the end. Jesus Christ's story is not a tragedy. It is a triumph. 
But we should heed the warning of the Jewish rejection of Jesus so that our lives don't end in the kind of tragic loss because we wouldn't pay attention to Christ Messiah, the Messiah. So this Christmas season offers you and I yet another chance to hear that Christ was born, Christ lived, Christ died. And he did not just die, he rose. And in his resurrection, he provides salvation for all people, even for you, even for me. All you need to do is listen and believe. Listen and turn from a life of trying to earn favor with God. Listen and come to Christ for the spiritual healing we all need. The Jews' response is a tragic ending to Acts. But the whole story of Acts ends in triumph. Our second point, triumph. Look at verse 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. If you'd followed Paul through the last several chapters, it might seem like until you come to this point, and even up to this point, that every door seems to be closing on this guy. Trial, mob, shipwreck, prison. But then you look closer. Paul has been given transport from Jerusalem to Rome under government protection. Over the course of this trial and journey, Paul has brought the gospel to Roman rulers in high places. Paul has testified to Jesus to soldiers and sailors and island natives. And now in Rome, he has complete freedom for his prison home to be a revolving door of gospel witness. People can come and go as they want. Hardly closed doors. A tragedy for the Jews has turned into a triumph for Jesus. Many more now know Christ as their Lord and Savior because of the messengers who were sent to tell them. The promise given to Abraham so long ago is now being answered. Through Abraham's spiritual descendants, all the nations of the earth are now being blessed. As Paul describes in Romans 9 through 11, God uses the Jewish rejection to create a way for the rest of the world to hear and believe. I love how Luke narrates this section to give us a sense of Christ's little beginning but ever expanding kingdom. So Paul calls a few Jewish local leaders in verse 17. But did you notice it's not just those guys who come back. But in verse 23, even more come. And among those more, some believe. And then in verse 30, even more from other nations are coming now to hear about Jesus, the King and the Savior. What a triumph for Christ at the end of Acts. Acts ends with the gospel going out from Rome without hindrance and with all boldness, it says. So God's messenger, though he's been through so many trials is not battered and beaten. He is encouraged and evangelistic. God's kingdom is not blockaded or defeated. It is spreading. Paul may be in chains, but the word of God is not bound. And how far Jesus' kingdom has spread in only a few decades. 
30 years prior, the only known Roman platform that existed for Christianity was a Roman instrument of torture on which they hung Jesus Christ. But now, Jesus the risen king claims the Roman Empire in its entirety as his global outpost through which he will continue spreading his universal reign. And today you find Jesus ruling in human hearts all over the world. How did this happen? Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit to save through the faithful proclamation of the gospel. It all started in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit falls and Peter proclaims salvation for the forgiveness of sins. And that's where Luke wants to end the story. Same spirit, same gospel. And now for us, a new audience to be found to tell and to see saved. I think this is why Paul refers to his imprisonment not as a hindrance, but as an opportunity for gospel advancement. Like we would think of him as some kind of lunatic or crazy man. He's not. He says, I've reasoned this out. Let me tell you why I think this is great. He actually says in Philippians 1.12, I want you to know, brothers, so what has happened to me, that is being imprisoned and put in chains, has really served to advance the gospel. So it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Wild to think of Paul content to be chained to a guard for two years so he could have more opportunities to talk to people about Jesus. Man, for that perspective. So is there any obstacle we could put up or think of that can hold back the salvation of God? So you think about your lost friends and family that you're going to see over the next two days. So you think about those you've labored for in prayer and wept for. As you've watched the ruin of culture just continue, you wonder how long. Is there any obstacle we can think of that can hold back the salvation of God? Yes, there are many, but let me encourage us to get rid of them in the light of God's word and his power. What is a prison's power? When Christ can put his messenger inside it and bring people to him and hear and be saved. What is a chain's effectiveness when the unbound word of God can move freely? What is an empire's rule if a message that proclaims a great kingdom can pass unchallenged across any of its borders? What is man's curse if God can become a man and bear a curse while not being a sinner? And what is death's grip if the Son of God can enter our grave and emerge from it victorious? The conclusion of Acts is open-ended and it is so hopeful. How many were the all that Paul welcomed into his home in verse 30? How many walked out new believers, new creations? How many more will have come through his writings As people are saved through Paul's ministry, they form churches with Christ as their unity instead of similar ethnic backgrounds like a Jewish believing church over here or a Gentile believer church over there. But no, Jew and Gentile now united under Christ. Jesus' triumph will continue in our presence as we prize our oneness in Jesus over all other things that would divide us. Paul is glad to talk to anyone interested about 
Jesus Christ, the hope of all the world. And what a wonderful model he is to follow as a church. Let us, let us welcome people in our lives to come in and welcome Jesus. We have but one gift to offer. And we offer the gospel to anyone who will listen. If they need mercy, if you need mercy, we introduce you to God who chose in his love to give his son to bring eternal life to the world. If you need grace, we present to you Jesus who gave himself freely so that we might be forgiven. If you need help, we tell you that God's spirit has a ministry to people like us. To end our war against God and heal the wounds left by our sin. Church, if we remain as faithful heralds, we will get to see God's future healing applied. Paul went through so many difficulties. And those difficulties are not over even though Acts is. Paul will be, will be beheaded for his faith. But Paul knew who he was. He knew he was Christ's messenger and he knew what the Lord had given him to do. Share Christ's message. And though his heart broke for the Jews who turned away, he also saw many turn and come. He got to witness ears come open, eyes that would now see, hearts that would welcome and understand the long expected Messiah had come. May that spur us on to talk to people about Christ. We will see future healing. If we are faithful heralds. Paul told the Jews in verse 27. There was a healing available. If they just turned to Jesus to receive it. Nothing less than Jesus' healing. Will remedy the problems we see in us. And around us. Only this savior's wounds. Can heal our own. Story of Acts ends. With this offer to find healing in Jesus. And the story of the Bible. Promises that he will heal all the nations. Kids, kids, when you go home and you sit around your Christmas tree tomorrow, I want you to think about three trees and three gifts. Remember the first tree that God made in the garden. At that tree, God offered all of us a gift of life through being perfectly obedient to him. And we've all refused that gift. Then remember the second tree. Remember the second tree that men made into a cross. Jesus there gave his obedient life in exchange for our disobedience. And remember a third tree. A third tree where the risen King Jesus is now. Where everyone who follows Jesus and believes in him will one day be. It's a tree described in Revelation 22 that's watered by the river of the water of life that flows from the throne of God and the Lamb that goes right through the middle of heaven's city. One day, people from all over the world and all through time will all gather at that river and we will there receive one eternal gift, healing, eternal life for all nations. That healing is there. It's free for you if you're a kid or if you're an adult. 
You can sit at the river that flows in heaven. If you will receive in faith the salvation that flows from Christ at the cross. The story of Acts as we finish this morning. The Christmas story that we celebrate this season. The story of history told in the entire Bible is how God turns our tragedy into his triumph through the healing offered in his son. May we all look, listen, turn, and be healed. Let's pray. Lord, it really is for our joy, this news of Jesus' birth. Joy for us and joy for the world. We ask for hearts that are so different from the hearts we are born with and prone to. We ask for new hearts and new eyes and new ears to hear and receive all that we have been told of you this morning. That we would listen. That we would look. That we would turn. And appeal to you to do what only you can do. Heal us. We proclaim in joy that Christ the King has come. Christ has died. Christ has raised. Christ has ascended. Christ rules. And Christ you will return. We look forward with joy to the day when we sit by your river. And rejoice in your name. And live in the eternal life provided by your healing. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.